You are listening to Healing Naturally Health and Wellness Podcast, episode number eight. Today, we're talking about the new science behind mental illness, lifestyle, mind, gut health, and nutrition. everyone, Astrid here. Welcome to the Healing Natural Wellness Podcast. If this is your first time listening, then thanks for coming. The Healing Natural Wellness Podcast is produced twice a month for your enjoyment and show notes are found at www.healingnaturally.com forward slash podcasts. Come back often and feel free to add the podcast to your favorite RSS feed or iTunes, Google Play, or even Alexa Play. You can also follow me on Twitter at heal underscore naturally and at Instagram heal you naturally and Facebook heal you naturally com. All links are in the show notes. Now let's get into the show. Hey everyone, today I have a phenomenal guest. Her name is Dr. Nicola Pera, also known as the Holistic Psychologist on Instagram with over 50,000 followers. Dr. Lepera is trained in psychology at Cornell University and the New School for Social Research in New York City. She practices as a holistic psychologist and is the founder of the Mindful Healing Center in Philadelphia. Her work addresses the connection between mental illness and mind-body while incorporating nutrition, lifestyle, and psychological wellness practices. She recently expanded her work online, creating a platform for teaching these often overlooked components of mental wellness to individuals and practitioners around the world. Nicole also contributes to public awareness through her website, yourholisticpsychologist.com, social media, and her informative articles, posts have been featured in other places on the internet. Welcome to the Healing Naturally Health and Wellness podcast, Nicole. Thank you so much, Astrid. I really appreciate you being on. It's great to have you. Okay, guys. So without further ado, we're going to go right into it. And I have the first question for Nicole. Why don't you tell us about your experience with anxiety, how you came about helping patients with mental illness holistically? Absolutely. So I am a lifetime sufferer of all forms of chronic anxiety. Um, I come by it by my, I always joke about it, by my mom, who is a very, very anxious person. Mm -hmm. Um, So literally as far back as I can remember, I was a little kid who, you know, was was afraid of bad, mainly mine was around bad things happening, health things happening, was always feeling nervous, tense. Um, As I kind of got older, it definitely morphed and took on a a panic base um, at points, which is really, really scary for those of you out there who have had panic attacks. Um, I've definitely had my share of them, almost brought myself to the hospital on one occasion. So I know anxiety. Like I said, I had it in the form of just obsessive thoughts about it, tension in the body, um, as long as I can remember. Um, I had two pivotal I think shifts in my own personal experience with anxiety. And one of which was when I discovered the the practice of mindfulness. Um, I love how it's kind of all over the place at this point, but I actually happened upon it um, way well before it was as mainstream as it was, um, as it is right now and started to utilize it. Um, it's really the basis. It's a practice where, you know, for those of you who are not familiar of it, really trying to focus on 
in the moment experiences. And it has a great um, kind of skill in terms of shifting attention. So for me, for anxiety, that really was pivotal. It started to help. I started to utilize it in my own personal life. Um, having as much success with it as I did, I started to then utilize it at the same time I had literally just started my my graduate level clinical training. Um, I was always going to be a psychologist. It was just kind of, I loved mine. I was fascinated by it. So by this point, I'm training to be one. And I thought, wow, this is a really great, important thing. So long story short, I started to use mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Um, I started to have some success with it in terms of my anxiety. And I started to use mindfulness in, in my clinical practice. Um, thought it was a hugely pivotal tool. Fast forward, probably by that point, about a decade. Um, and mindfulness was, I mean, anxiety in my world was still kind of nagging around. It would definitely have its spikes. Um, emotionally, I still had moments of reactivity. So there was just a lot of ways where while I had all these great tools, I had this awareness, I still wasn't, I think, at the place that I wanted to be. Um, so after a health crisis where I started to have some pretty crazy things happen to me um, health-wise, I really dove into literature. And at this point, because I was fainting, I was having weird kind of brain blanks, I call them. And I got surprising. I got scared. I got anxious that it was something actually physically wrong with me. But actually, this oh, wow. anxiety at this point was really helpful. Um, because it really made me dive into literature on ter- in, in terms of nutrition and what could be going going on with me. Um, and I came to realize that a lot of the lifestyle choices and nutritional choices I was making was literally throwing my body out of balance and was contributing to a lot of the residual anxiety I was still feeling. So at that point, I dove in, I engaged or engaged in my began, I should say, my own self-healing journey, um, taking into consideration all sorts of lifestyle choices and factors. Um, And at that point, I really evolved my work to, wow, wait a minute, this is why I was still somewhat stuck, even Mm -hmm. though I had this awareness and I had these great tools. Um, And this is why I was starting to experience because at this point I was logging hours now with, you know, years and hours Mm -hmm. with the same clients who also were feeling stuck. So it was a really big aha light bulb moment. And I would say where I really made that full shift into the more holistic work that I'm now doing. Excellent. That's pretty admirable. You know, you're able to tap into that all on your own. And now you're able to use that with your patients. It's it's extremely important. Um, I was actually reading uh, in one of your articles about the microbiome imbalance and how it is uh, connected to, you know, mental health. And as we all know, in the holistic um, and, mm-hmm. and wellness uh, field, uh, you know, physical and mental. So you wrote something that said our entire GI tract is filled with tiny microbes and we have more bacteria than human genes. Our microbiome is, is a blueprint that is unique to all, to us. It's been influenced uh, since birth by our mother, how we were born and if we were breastfed. It continues to change throughout life as adult diet, sleep and stress will influence our microbiome. 70% of neurotransmitters like serotonin are made in the gut, then sent through the brain via the gut and the brain axis. Our gut-brain axis is a two-way communication center between the gut and the brain. These microbes determine not only our overall health, but our thoughts and mood. So I've written about this in the past. You know, I'm, I'm a big proponent mm-hmm. of natural probiotics. I, mm-hmm. I love kefir, kombucha, and I have, you know, a, a couple of videos about it. And it's extremely important to have a good balance of friendly bacteria in the gut. 
would you agree with that? How important is that when it comes to mental health? Absolutely. I think it's it's really pivotal. And I would even make a statement to say that if there is imbalance, that some of what I think kind of universally some of us are labeling as depressions, anxieties, and everything in between are actually the direct result of that imbalance. Um, it's, it's so incredibly important because those microbes and having, you know, more good than bad or having a balance, however we want to word it, are pivotal from not only for not only um, nutrient absorption. I mean, that's literally how we are getting the good stuff out of the food, the hopefully good, healthy food that we're eating um, that has nutrients. Um, So that, you know, and again, just thinking about it logically, if we're not getting the nutrients out of our food, because if we're having that level of imbalance, and it's affecting us, that we're not absorbing those nutrients, and just thinking about it logically, you know, our cells, our organs, right down or right up, I should say upstream to our brains might not be functioning, you know, kind of as optimally, let alone might be contributing to, I think, like I said, some of what we're calling the depressions, the low moods and low energies, the brain fogs, the nervousness, the tension, the lack of attention, and the list goes on. So beyond not having not just having the nutrients that that the human body needs to function um like i said or like you read as well uh uh, we used to think the old belief in mental illness wellness was that these neurotransmitters and some of the listeners, you know, might have heard of the serotonins, the dopamines. Those are pretty popular ones. Right. Those are implicated in the anxieties and the, the, the depressions. Right. We used to think they were produced and kind of contained to our brain. Right. And then obviously the low mood or the anxiety was the effect of not having the necessary amounts in our brain. However, the new science is really showing us, like you read, that this is actually happening in our gut. So again, if our microbes are imbalanced, then not only are we probably not absorbing nutrients very well, but we're probably not going to be having the amounts of these neurotransmitters that very much contribute to optimal mental wellness. Wow, that's excellent. Yeah, it's 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 all... It correlates. It's all. Now, another question, like kind of deviating a little bit from this topic, which is actually I found very important in one of your posts on Instagram. I noticed um, you were talking about self-betrayal. Like, tell us about self-betrayal and how it correlates with our mental health. Absolutely. So, you know, I think when we're talking about self-betrayal, on the deepest level, what we're talking about is this elusive sense of self, right? And it was so interesting. I just actually got off, got out of a session where this is mainly what we were, what we were talking about, my client and I, which is that we, while, you know, what, whatever your belief is, right, that is the being that is you, whether we call it the spirit or the inner being or the soul, right? There is something that makes us us, right? So while yes, we do come to earth or whatever it is you think happens, right? With that, we don't actually have, we don't know how to use that or operate. We don't even know what it is or be, how to be connected to it or how to operationalize it. So part of development, and again, for a lot of us, this happens across a lifespan. And I always say that because I think a lot of us feel like, you know, if we don't know who we are by the time we're a teenager or 20s for sure, and definitely 30s, you know, that we're doing something wrong. And my argument always is, is that 
you know, figuring out this sense of self, connecting to this sense of self and being the who, the, the we that, that we are in the world, right, is a lifetime process. So I just want to throw that out there. Because like I said, I think a lot of times we're our own worst critic and, and we think that there's like an expiration on this. But back to betrayal. So, right. So what we're talking about is literally all of the ways that so many of us operate in the world that is kind of a, either not considering, disconnected from, or in opposition to that being inside. And there's so many different ways that we do it um, and so many different, you know, reasons why we do it. You know, usually they, they are related to an accumulation of our past experiences. And I say that because I believe that whatever ends up bringing someone to my office, you know, on a session with me or what have you, or is a quote unquote problem later in life, I believe starts out as an adaptation, meaning it's us doing the best that we can. So the small ways that we betray ourselves, right, whether or not, whether it's, you know, not even connecting to that person, you know, inside that being inside. So to bring back the example that I was saying that I just had a session about, you know, I was speaking with someone and I relate personally to this or on a personal level to this, which is someone who is always kind of playing a role in relationships, right? So always looking to fit a need of somebody else, right? I can make an argument that on the deepest level, this person is more or less disconnected. So they're betraying them themselves, right? Because they're not even checking in to see what their thoughts are, what their feelings are, what their wants are, what their needs are. So that's kind of a, a kind of simple example of, of a disconnect from the self, right? And then we have a million mm. other ways that we betray ourselves, where we do have some connection to what we want or what we need or how we want to see our, our lives, our, ourselves in the world or our lives being, and we don't act in that way for, again, many different reasons. Um, so mm -hmm. I think that those are, are examples of self-betrayal. And then kind of my, my number one suggestion always is, you know, how do we start to combat that is we start to build a trust in ourselves, a confidence in ourselves. And the way we do that is a, we carve out time for ourselves and our own thoughts and our own feelings through a meditation practice, right? We need to tune into what's there, you know, what we're thinking, what we're wanting, what we're needing. Mm -hmm. So we need, we need to connect with that. A, and then we make small promises to ourselves, right? Where we, even one of them is, I promise that I will do one minute of meditation tomorrow to connect with myself. And each time we do that, we start to build up a trust, a confidence and a connection to our sense of self so that we can start to overturn what for a lot of us literally is a lifetime of self-betrayal. Wow, that is awesome. I hope you guys remember this. You know, take note every single day take a little bit of your busy a little bit of time from your busy schedules and make time for yourself to meditate which brings me to a quick question what are your suggestions i know there's a couple of apps out there and i hear a lot of people like i try to do uh, my morning meditation it's just about three minutes and i'm teaching my son to do that we do um you know the the, the breathing the deep breathing smile mm -hmm. to send those you know messages to the brain that you're happy mm -hmm. and we breathe and we try to stay in the moment you know be in the moment, present, just about three minutes. And so people, what would you suggest or like based on your, on your experience, what is a quick way? Like I've heard of a couple of apps like Calm. Um, mm -hmm. what, what are some of the, for example, apps or a method that is 
that works for most people? Or do you suggest something that obviously whatever works for, for you, but what would you suggest to our listeners and uh, based on your experience? Yeah, absolutely. So I think that there's, there's one of two ways that we can do this. And again, I, I will preface this with, you know, whatever's going to get you to do it and whatever literally is most comfortable for you, acknowledging that this is not always a comfortable practice. And I throw that out there too, because I think that there's a lot of misinformation that meditating and, and mindfulness in this way is, is relaxing, right? Over time, we can utilize it to that extent, but it isn't because sometimes it's literally about tuning in to what's going on beneath the surface and it's not always pleasant. So I just want to throw that out there. So again, yeah. I think, you know, to speak to the point, it's very individualized. So what works for me might not be what's most kind of what can fit most consistently in someone else's world. And that's the big part of it. So my joke is whatever works for you, literally, I mean that. So finding the practice that you can put in your day consistently, because this is not the thing that we do once and we, we got. This is literally, I always call it, it's like flexing a muscle. We need yeah. to practice this. And consistency is really, really key. So whatever's going to get you to put it somewhere in your day, whether or not I do it as well in my mornings, whether you do it in the mornings, the afternoon, the evening, as long as you're doing it, do it. And there's two paths that we can take. And so when we think of the apps, Calm, Headspace, YouTube is a huge resource for meditations. Mm -hmm. All of these are kind of, got, I, I reference them as guided meditations, right? Meaning some one is talking us through the meditation that I think can be hugely helpful, especially for be beginners, because it gives us something to focus our attention on. Right. So someone is literally talking us through the practice of meditation. So I think those are huge, helpful resources. Again, Calm, Headspace, I, I don't know how they kind of work these days. I have the idea that they take you through meditations. I don't know much how much choice you have. But YouTube, I know that there's a million different meditations out there. You can experiment with, you know, voices and accents, whatever you find most soothing. There's even purposes, right? Some will be for relaxation. Some will be for loving kindness, right? So it's a really a wealth. But again, whatever you're going to pick to do when you're doing this, this guided version of it, I love that you're using three minutes. Start small. Start with a minute. Do a minute every day until a minute feels like you got this and then add another minute in. Because yes. I think the, the most, yeah, the most problematic hurdle that we all create for ourselves whenever we're trying to literally shift our lifestyle, create a new habit, is setting an expectation too high. So again, start very, very small. And then there's another type of meditation, which is not guided, which is just developing, you know, kind of your own um, uh, attentional focal point. And a lot of times you'll hear people using their breath to do so, right? So that looks like, okay, now I'm going, I always suggest when we're starting, putting yourself in a room, limiting the amount of external distractions, because anything outside of us, our thoughts as well, they become distractions, they become literally where we turn our attention to. So find a quiet space, right? Again, carve out one minute, maybe set a timer on your phone, right? Sit down comfortably, lay down, whatever works for you, and just let yourself kind of settle into that moment. And then what you're going to find is you're going to start to have thoughts, right? So, and the purpose of meditation is developing the ability to observe your thoughts, not to dive into them, not to feel about them, not to react from them, which is what most of us do 
more naturally on a daily basis, but to kind of the way it is described on those apps or on a meditation is right. Like clouds in the sky, like waves in the sea, like cars on the road. So that's a huge important part of it. And the way we do that is we start to play with attention. We start to learn that I can choose where I'm looking in terms of my attention. So as I start to feel, you know, see my thoughts passed in front of me, I use my breath to turn my attention to it. So that's a little bit more of a, I think a, more it could feel more complicated practice but once you engage in it you start to really learn how to like i said separate yourself from the thoughts shift your attention and like i said the breath is a thing that we're all carrying around with us all day long so that can be hugely helpful for when we want to start to you know utilize the mindfulness skill of in our daily moment so if we don't have time to pop the headphones in we can really start to develop this as a habit too that's fabulous. Love it. For you need to find someone that you find, uh, you know, the accent, the voice, the um, whatever, whatever works for you. And so um, what I was going to say is regarding that, I used to think um, I started really good and I'm fa- Chopra and I'm following him and I'm all into it and like that. And all of a sudden I'm like, oh no, this is too long, man. I can't, I can't do this. Like I found myself like getting distracted because I'm thinking this is taking too long. So I decided at some point, no, 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 we, we're going to change it because while I love his voice, I get, I get into it. It's just too long. So I decided to do, I learned somewhere three minutes, you smile, da, da, da. So what I what, where I'm coming from is I've heard there are different um, types of meditation, um, like different types of meditations, like walking meditation. Uh, you know, like you said, breathing. Like, are like tell our listeners mm-hmm, like mm-hmm. what choices do they have? For example, they I, I never heard of walking meditation until recently, and I found that pretty fascinating because I adore hiking and going for nature walks and stuff like that. So what are like let's say three or four different types of meditations they could do. Absolutely. So yeah, I love those two. So the way I kind of think of meditation is I separate it into two different categories, right? And one I call the structured meditation. So exactly like I was just talking about, right? Where we're sitting, where we're carving out time, where we're kind of meditating as we all traditionally think of the word. Then I call the other version, you know, unstructured meditation, literally living meditatively, meaning living in presence, showing up for what is only happening in my moment and when I'm feeling myself distracted, because let's be honest, the truth of the matter is, and I know I am a culprit of this, most of us as humans, we have a great mind, it's very powerful, but we spend too much time thinking in our minds, meaning we are distracted from whatever is happening around us. So I think all of us could, could use this skill in terms of just to connect with what's happening in our present moment, whether or not it's the beauty of nature or watching your child grow or connecting with the person in front of you, all of that only happens if we're fully present and a lot at change. I mean, when we're talking about adding change behaviors into when we are mindless, we're habitual, we're not there. So I think that these mm. unstructured versions of meditation is a huge, important tool that all of us, all of us could and should develop. Um, so yeah, there's ways that we show up to the world and there's ways that we learn how to shift our attention and things like walking meditation. So a great way to use that literally is just that anytime our body is moving can help us to, like I said earlier, we need to have an anchor, right? We need to have usually something to mm-hmm. focus on that 
brings us back into the now, right? So just think about it in our heads, right? I'm thought, thinking I'm lost in thought that the example that everyone loves to give is right. I've driven or I've walked home and I don't even remember the walk, but I'm there, right? Cause we're on autopilot. That's a beautiful part yeah. of our brain. It allows us <laughs> to sustain <laughs> life, right? I didn't get into that car accident because I shifted into that autopilot yet. I wasn't also present to it because I wasn't, I, I was lost in my mind. So anytime we're doing something that offers us a great opportunity of an anchor to use. So yoga, right, in and of itself is a very mindful practice. When you're in yoga class or when you're listening to a yoga video, you'll hear things like, to, like connect to your breath, feel your body, mm -hmm. right? That's what that is doing. Yeah. When your body is moving, that gives us something very palpable to connect to. So stretching, you know, if you're not someone who does, who, if you're someone who does not like the more kind of structured practice-based approach, approach of yoga, stretching, right? Sit on the floor, stretch your hamstring and focus your attention on how it feels to stretch your hamstring, right? That's one, mm -hmm. one kind of easy how to do on a daily basis example of, of a, a, a more active, you know, mindfulness meditation, walking, Right. If you're someone I walk to work every day. So instead of being lost in thought and maybe instead of even listening to anything in my ears, I literally focus my attention on the act of walking. And as I start to feel myself get distracted with my thoughts, because that happens, this is a thing, too. Whenever we're flexing this muscle or we're building or we're working this muscle out, it's something mm -hmm. that more or less we have to do consistently. Right. A thought doesn't come. I don't shift my attention to my walking and I'm done. That thought is going to be nagging at me to keep pulling my attention back to it. So I'm walking and literally I could feel my feet hit the ground, right? While I'm walking. Oh, I could feel the little tightness in my hamstrings. I, I got a great leg day in yesterday, right? Literally just focus your attention on the act of walking, running. If you're a runner, if you do anything else, physical or athletic, right? Perfect place to put your attention. Another tool I love to use are our senses, right? Anytime we are using our senses, as silly and simple as, as it sounds, when we're smelling something, when we're hearing something, when we're, you know, kind of touching something, tasting something, we can mm. only do that if we're present to what that something is in that moment. So eating, this is another place we can start to put some meditative mindfulness experiences in, right? And I know this is a loaded one. A lot of us eat mindfully and have a lot not to go down this other, uh, unpack this other, I think, you know, really complicated thing in terms of eating and nutrition. Mm -hmm. But a lot yeah. of us aren't mindful when we're eating. And we're, before we know it, we're eating that second plate because we're not paying attention. So right. pay attention to your food, smell it taste it right again listening music if you're out in nature the birds right turning your attention to what you're hearing what you're touching what you're feeling you know if you're if you're someone who knits feel your hands knitting or if you're someone who works with clay right feel your body doing that those are really great every everyday ways to start to use this practice of mindfulness Wow, that's powerful. Love it. You know, what you mentioned about food and like being mindful, there's actually also I actually um, had a podcast on that with uh, a really good friend of mine. And she's actually a psychologist as well. And she wrote a, a book on plant based foods and like that. And she was talking about also there's the psychology of eating uh, this other website and um, they uh, talk about 
mindfulness while eating there's actually such a connection but like you said it's such a complex topic mm-hmm. because it, it actually you know has to do with digestion you know the way you eat how how long you eat what type of food you're eating and also the connection between you know your food and and but yeah let's not deviate mm-hmm. that's a whole we will mm-hmm. have another podcast for that another whole All podcast right. on that <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're going to jump to the next question, and uh, I really love this. One of your mottos is, I help you heal yourself. What exactly does that mean to a patient? Because that's that's huge, and this mm-hmm. is sort of like a new science, because in the past, we were all, you relied heavily on the psychologist, the psychiatrist, mm-hmm. and so this is great, and I I actually heard this from you first, and so I want you to tell our listeners, uh, what does that mean to to a patient? I yeah. would say, should they become a patient of yours? Absolutely. So I, I take two big, huge meanings out of this that I think are emblematic of a, a paradigm shift, I think, that needs to happen at this point, and that honestly, people are ready to happen at this point. And the first is that I truly believe in every individual's inherent capacity to do this on their own. Yes, having support, having someone to talk. I mean, this might sound crazy coming from a helper, right? But having support, having someone to talk to. Again, someone else outside of ourselves sometimes offers objective viewpoints and information to us that we can't see ourselves, right? So again, I'm not saying that a someone else, whomever that might be, your therapist, your best friend, your partner, isn't helpful and useful, but they can't do it for you just to put it out there and to put it bluntly. And I worked conventionally, traditionally in a lot of ways where I think a lot of people um, on either side of the couch, right? The doctor or the patient, whomever it is, right? Did I think have a belief that was very limiting that someone else outside of ourselves, I was actually talking about this earlier today, has answers for us, right? Like I said, they can offer a perspective and they could help support us along the way. And they might have tools that we are not yet, you know, have not yet been exposed to. But in terms of knowing ourselves, the biggest point of, uh, or the biggest uh, piece of a healing journey uh, or goal of a healing journey that I kind of help people and support people through is giving them the tools to develop connection to their own intuitive nature. Because the truth of the matter is, right, is like I said, there's that being in there and we have these beautiful bodies that literally self-regulate and our body knows what it needs nutritionally. Our body knows how to heal itself. Our body does this on its own. It's us and our stories and our experiences that complicate that and that take us off that path. So a big goal for any healing process is connecting back to that intuition. So I think, you know, for the patients out there, you know, I believe that that you can all do this. And that's why I use the platform of Instagram the way that I do is to spread, you know, these tools, these techniques so that the people out there, you know, who want to start using these can. And I truly believe that healing is possible. So that's, I think, the one major shift is that you don't necessarily need a guru or someone who has, a te- you know, all this information and who knows better. You know, like I said, support, collaboration, objective perspectives. Yes, that's how someone else can be helpful to you. But in terms of doing the work, it truly comes down to you right? I can't go there and I can't get you out of bed and I can't meditate for you and I can't put the food in your mouth that I would suggest. It really comes down to you and you can do it if you have the right tools. And I think the second shift, you know, kind of piggybacking on that is really a shift in in the science of we used to view everything from physical illness to mental illness, right? As the result of a, a genetic kind of unchangeable 
factor, you know, whether it's a gene or a this or a that, whatever we're calling it. And I think the truth of the matter is science is evolving and there's a new science out there, which is really starting to take over. Thankfully, that's that that says otherwise that says, yes, we're it's called epigenetics for those of you who are interested. So, yes, we are born with different genes, right, and different and different combinations and they play a role, but they're not the fatalistic, deterministic the end-all be-all role that we used to think that they are. That things like lifestyle behaviors, everywhere, anything from what I'm eating, how I'm sleeping, how stressed am I, what coping skills do I have, do I not have, what has been the result of my accumulation of life experiences, that they are actually interacting with whatever our genes may or may not be. And then that is what produces anything from the physical illness or unwellness to the mental unwellness. So I say that to all also, the way we heal ourselves is really internalizing that belief that we can, that we have control, empowering ourselves that just because mom and grandma and maybe great grandma had this and maybe I do have a genetic quote unquote predisposition for it doesn't mean that I might as well just roll over and wait to have it. There's so much more control that we can have based on what we do consistently every day than I think many of us give a are aware of. So I think that's another part of my heal yourself message is that you can actually do it even if you've believed for so long that you were doomed to this fate. I don't believe that. Wow. You know what? I don't believe it either. And I'm so glad you said it because I've kind of said it in the past, but obviously they're like, well, you know, it's like, oh, just, it's, it's, you know, cause based on the research that you do and you, and you read and like that. And I love that you mentioned this because I have heard over and over and over from different people. I've worked a little bit on health coaching and they say, well, I, you know, my, like you said, my parents had it. There is a gene in my family and it is a clinical depression. And, and it's it's literally like it, it cannot be changed. I remember someone that I knew and I'm challenging it and say, well, no, you know, their lifestyle change, I think, has a, a, an important role. And I think you have to um, get yourself to, 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 you know, help yourself. I don't think, no, 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 it's written. So I'm glad that you mentioned this because everyone needs to know that you can take charge of your mental and physical health. Like on my end, I always said physical health, don't rely 100% mm -hmm. on your doctor. You guys are a team. Uh, I use, you know, uh, the, I, I mm -hmm. personally, I use the medical, um, you know, the, the tools, you know, lab work and all that to do my own stuff. But um, basically, you have to be your own healer. Okay, cool. So now we're go. Thank you so much. That was fabulous. Mm -hmm. Now we're going to jump to the next question. How is depression mm -hmm. one of the most misunderstood psychiatric disorders? I was looking at one of your posts um, on Instagram, which was awesome. Like, all of them mm -hmm. <laughs> rethinking depression and the post says mind, Thanks. body, and soul. Tell us a little bit about this, which we kind of already touched base on, but um, how is this like, you know, depression, one of the most uh, misunderstood um, psychiatric disorders? Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. So, you know, kind of breaking it down into the two uh, kind of general categories, right? So in terms of in terms of body, um, you know, a lot of so a lot of again, what we're calling depression is literally the results of, you know, issues that typically originate in the gut, 
right? So again, when our gut is damaged, when our biome is off, those microbes are off, you know, again, not only are we not getting the full nutrient absorption, which then translates again upstream in terms of how is our brain functioning, um, things like low mood, low energy, you know, sadness even, you know, can directly be a result of those of the neurotransmitters. Also, not to scare people, but part one of the other gut issues that happens to a lot of us, especially for someone who eats gluten or things that, you know, literally we have a very thin lining mm-hmm. around our gut and it's thin so that our bodies can absorb n- nutrients, but it's thinness becomes a problem because some of the foods that we're eating aren't natural to us and are literally poking yep. holes in that gut lining. So to summarize it in a very general brief way, when those holes are there, right? Food, toxins, things are escaping out of our stomachs. Thinking logically about this right now, they're floating around our body and our bloodstream. What happens when they get to our brain? That same thin lining covers our brain. And quite literally what happens is they start to cause damage in our brain. And then we get an inflammation response because our body self-regulates, attempts to at least, it inflames itself. We have an autoimmune response. So sometimes this this gut permeability is what's contributing to a lot of people out there. I know autoimmune diseases are on the rise. It's no coincidence. It's because of this. Our bodies are literally attacking themselves and we are becoming inflamed. And when our brain is inflamed, again, we're getting that slowing, that lack of energy, all that kind of comes with depression, that is from an inflamed brain, again, originating in a damaged gut, whether it's again, the biome is off or whether or not we're having that permeability. Another reason depression is caused is I'm always going on and on those of you who follow me or who start to follow me about the subconscious, right? So we, again, through an accumulation of life experiences, whether we know it or not, we are telling our, we are talking to ourselves and talking to ourselves about life Mm -hmm. all day, every day. And sometimes, right, we have formed neural networks of ways that we typically think and then feel and then behave so consistently over time that sometimes that's also contributing to depression. If we have negative stories, back to that elusive sense of self, about ourselves, about unworthiness, about not deserving things, right? About failure, about a million things that we say to ourselves consistently enough, that logically, thinking about it, right, causes depression or can result in an overall low mood. If we are telling ourselves something negatively about ourselves long enough, consistently enough, before we know it, we feel like crap. And then the soul piece, again, that's like I was, what I was, when we were talking about a little bit in terms of self-betrayal and not being in alignment and not being connected to that person and not being connected maybe to whether it's our passion or our path or what we want to be doing, you know, on our time on this planet. So that kind of touches briefly on that, that body, mind, soul piece. But again, any, any imbalance, right, in any of those areas can logically contribute to what we're all walking around calling depression and thinking on some level comes from that genetic chip. And again, Mm -hmm. my argument is that it doesn't, that it comes from one, if not all a combination of, of those things. Wow. That's excellent. It definitely makes a lot of sense. You know, I I was actually reading uh, the natural, a little bit on statistics, the natural Institute of mental health estimates that 16.2 million adults in the United States had at least one major depressive episode. This number represented 6.7% of all U.S. adults. The prevalence of adults with major depressive episode was highest among individuals ages uh, 18 to 25. And this was as of November 1st, 2017. Um, So, 
you know, it is, would you say depression has increased or decreased within the last few years? Or is it basically on stats and all that? Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, those stats, I'm not, I'm not sure. It's high, put it that way. And mm -hmm. I do believe that in many ways, it's getting higher um, because of, like I said, those, those, those reasons, right. Are the diets. And I think at right. this point it's, we can't even call it the standard American diet anymore. I think it's possibly becoming a global right diet, um, global lifestyle choices. The more time as humans that we're spending indoors, outside of sun, not moving, sitting, sitting sedentarily, right. In jobs with financial stress. Cause we have to pay bills, not connected to our purpose, right. Having had a life experience with other humans who are carrying, you know, you know, the biggest kind of cliche thing, but in the truth is it, you know, you know, parents are humans too, you know, hurt people, hurting people, not intentionally, but again, this is where those patterns come from. So I think as just this, you know, compounds itself over time that probably, you know, arguably one could say that, yes, the stats are increasing. And I think it's for those reasons, just because of the shifts in, in the aspects of being human that I think are contributing. Mm -hmm. But I think a lot of them really go down to the, the lifestyle and nutritional pieces. Absolutely. Um, you know, one of the questions was going to be, which we could touch real quick, but we already kind of did mental health requires participation real quick. Um, like in a nutshell, yeah. which we already mentioned, mm -hmm. what do you, what do you say, um, you know, to our readers? Yeah, Mental absolutely. Yeah. I think, like I said, I, I, so I work actively. I do one-on-one -on -one individualized sessions. Um, I give tools, uh, on, on Instagram and essentially I can say or do or give or, you know, kind of make it as understandable as possible. But when it comes down to it, it's about the consistency. Like I said, it's about changing, our ways of being from the way that we're typically our habitual way of thinking, feeling and being in the world to what we're eating or not eating or how we're sleeping or how do we manage stress utilizing the tools ultimately comes down to the person. So the participation, mm -hmm. literally, like I said, making use of supports, getting this information for yourself, maybe even like, you know, sitting with a helper who can, you know, give you some objective realities and give you these tools. But once you walk out of that door, you can't wait until the next session and then expect to be better in that 50 minutes or an hour period of time. Mm -hmm. It just doesn't work like that. It's literally about doing it. And those of you who follow me or who will start following me on Instagram, the reason why I show my journey is because I'm right there with you doing it too. And I don't like it. And some days it's not pretty and I don't want to get up early and I don't want to meditate. And I'm the first one to, you know, admit that this is hard, right? Mm -hmm. But it really is about doing it consistently because no one can do it for you. And I think it's, it's, we're really disempowering ourselves by waiting for the thing or the person or the force outside of us to make us better better is possible healing is possible but you're gonna need to do something absolutely so um i was reading real quick one of your i think it was one of your posts said we've not been told the true story about mental illness the marketing around mental Ill illness is based in the genetic model that says that the brain and body are not connected so we already touched on that but people need to know that um there was also another point where you said everyone and we, this correlates to what we're talking about everyone has what they're looking for out there within themselves but you have to do it you have to choose yourself you have to put it into practice and you have to do the work so these things, guys, uh, what I've gathered 
from all of this and by following Dr. LaPera for a while, which I'm fascinated and I absolutely love all of her posts and I've shared with you guys is because we must be, like I've also um, shared in the past regarding our physical health and or in health in general, we have to be uh, a willing participant. You can't rely on your doctor. You can't rely on your psychologist. You can't rely on your fitness trainer. You got to do the work. Now, the, fi the final question, Nicole, concluding our podcast, what would be your advice for our listeners currently dealing with mental health issues and have been taking medications or have been advised by their psychiatrist to do so, but want to address mental health from a holistic standpoint, have been recently diagnosed and don't know where to turn, um, and finally have dealt with chronic depression for a long time and want to finally live a healthy, happy mm -hmm. life again. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, educate yourselves out there. And nutrition is a huge, pivotal, foundational. Anyone I work with, you know, I really emphasize the importance of nutrition. So pay attention to what you're eating, you know, how much you're sleeping, you know, what you're doing with your day. And any small baby shifts, changes, promises yourself that you can make and keep, you know, in terms of changing those things is going to be hugely important. So, you know, get educated, kind of get some information. I put it out there on a daily basis in terms of the what to eat, um, you know, the what to do. So kind of dive in. And then, like I said, just start taking those small, small, small steps. Don't set expectations up too high, you know, just keep some momentum going. And like I said, nutrition is a huge place to start. If our body is not in balance, we're not going to be able to do the deeper work that comes with some of these, you know, mm -hmm. some of these issues. Um, and, some of the time getting our body back into balance will actually resolve those issues in and of themselves. Beautiful. Awesome. Well, Nicole, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you. I have learned so much. I know my uh, listeners are going to learn so much and uh, I truly appreciate your time and I'm looking forward to having you again. Awesome. I appreciate it so much. I seriously, in all, in all seriousness, thank you so much. I mean, this is helping me to spread the word, to get it out there, people being interested. I am more than happy to keep talking, talking, talking about it. Cause like I said earlier, we are in the midst of a, a paradigm shift that I think needs to happen. So I'm so appreciative, Astrid, of people like you who are helping me to spread this message and who are also spreading a similar one themselves. So thank you. Thank you. No, no, absolutely. And that's why I wanted to have you because like you said, there's a shift, there's a movement. We want to get the word out there. And so guys, don't forget to visit Dr. Nicole's website so you could get a copy of her free gut healing guide. And that is at www.yourholisticpsychologist.com. The links will all be posted in the notes and definitely visit her You know, website for uh, has tons of other free articles and, and a course for those of you interested in learning how to treat your mental illness holistically also help others also do not forget to follow her on her social media channels instagram is at uh, the holistic psychologist that's t-h-e dot holistic that psychologist and also you could email her at dr nicole at your holistic psychologist.com nicole again it was a pleasure having you and um i'm looking forward to seeing you again. awesome thank you so so much have a good one you're welcome you too Bye. Thanks.